Hello and welcome to The Shana Show. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and mindset coach. I'm on a mission to help you live a nourished life on every single level. This podcast dives into the world of holistic health and personal development. Here, I combine practical knowledge and tools with the science of behavior change to help you embody your best self. It's my aim that this podcast inspires you and provides you with the resources to live the life of your dreams. So if you're ready to become your happiest and healthiest self, you are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is the amazing Isabella Katena, who is phenomenal when it comes to raising empowered kids. And that's actually the name of her business and what we're going to be speaking about today, raising empowered kids and navigating parenthood and guiderhood and understanding how to really lovingly guide our children or guide our friends' children or wherever you are in life where you have children around you, whether you're a parent yourself or you're just around children, we're going to be talking about actually empowering children. And I love that we're bringing this topic into the podcast today because I'm all about empowerment, but how do we actually empower other people, especially little people? So thank you so much, Izzy, for being here today to share all of your wisdom and knowledge. And before we hopped on and hit recording, I was sharing with Izzy that every time I talk to someone who has kids, I'm like passing on her details and I'm telling them that I'm going to be hiring Izzy whenever I have kids, when that phase and chapter of my life comes up, because even now I get so much value from you, like without children. So imagine when I actually am raising little humans, like I'm going to need you in my back pocket. So hopefully by having you here today to share your wisdom and your knowledge, we can really support the listeners. Um, And yeah, guys, get on Izzy's Instagram. If you've got kids, if you know anyone with kids, pass on her details. It's so important to be navigating parenthood or guiderhood from this really empowering, uplifting perspective, as opposed to the ways that we might have been raised or the other more conventional ways that aren't necessarily the most empowering. So long story short, thank you so much for being here, Izzy, and I'm so excited to dive into today's episode with you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Let's get into it by talking a little bit about how you actually got into the space of helping people raise empowered children. Yes. Well, yeah, such a, such a long story with this, but Basically, so I'm a bachelor qualified early childhood educator. I've been working with kids for nine plus years. Even before I was working with kids, I was babysitting and nannying and I just loved being around kids. It felt like it it just was part of my natural nature. Um, So obviously, yeah, studied my bachelor, got into working in daycares and preschools. And alongside the journey of working with kids, I also kind of started a, a bit of a personal development, personal growth journey in terms of, you know, facing some of my own emotions and learning how to um, attune to my own heart space and minimize triggers and all of that kind of stuff alongside uh, starting to work with kids. And as the years kind of went on, when I got into kind of three, four years of working with kids and, and this personal healing journey as well, I started to notice that the ways in which I was reacting or responding to children were starting to be quite different. And the language I was using with kids was quite different. The way I was empathizing with kids was quite different. And I would watch other educators in the space and how they would get quite triggered or how they would shut kids down or the kind of conditioning that would come into play in the way that they were guiding kids. And I think something just really clicked in me where I was like, I I feel like I, I understand 
how kids actually need to be met, what their needs are, how how we can best support them in their behaviours and their emotions. And I started to kind of experiment with that just in my own work with kids. And, oh, what happens when I start to word things this way? What happens when I give them more choice? What happens when I empathise with their emotions and I validate them? Like just really started to experiment with a lot of that. And, I mean, at the time being an educator, you do a lot of um, professional development as well. So I was learning about, you know, kids and trauma and all sorts of things around that just to give me some kind of backing in what I was doing. Um, And then, yeah, about four or five years into, I guess, exploring this and and my teaching journey, I also decided to do my kids yoga teacher training. And I think that for me really was the catalyst of bringing a lot more mindfulness into my guiding of kids and being a lot more conscious or aware of my connection with children. And I feel like from that point where I I did that kids yoga teacher training, it was over two weekends. um, And I started teaching kids yoga in local yoga studios. And um, I predominantly work with three to five-year-olds, but doing yoga, I was also working with six to 12-year-olds. So it kind of broadened the range of kids that I was working with. And yeah, it just, it really started this momentum for me of there's better ways to meet our kids. I know this because I'm doing it and I'm noticing that kids respond better. I'm noticing that my connection with kids is so sacred and so special that they respect me, that I respect them. And that was really the catalyst. And I I guess from that, I I felt so empowered in the ways that I was guiding kids that I then just wanted to share that. So over the last three years in my business, I have, I've run a lot of um, parenting programs and that kind of thing so that I can share the way that I do things with other parents and educators so that they can then show up in connection with their kids in really empowering, loving, nurturing ways, and also ways that are actually easier for them as the guider as well. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my journey and how I got into all of this. Yeah. I love that. And as you did start changing the way or having your own way and your own approach to how you were engaging with the children, how did you notice it kind of came back to you in the, for, in the form of like, how were they responding to the way that you were showing up and the way that you were leading mm. in this more empowered way? Like what was the kind of shift you saw in them compared to just the traditional education style? oh, they're just, they're more receptive. They are so much more receptive. I think, yeah, and I think a big part of this has been uh, doing that inner healing work on myself and understanding, especially doing some inner child healing and understanding what my, my, the child within me, what she needed when she was a kid in the moments where she had big emotions or when she had a need that needed to be met and she showed big behaviour and then was shut down, you know, I guess reflecting on those moments and doing a lot of healing work around that, I guess I started to see and understand other kids in a different way. And so when I would see them having a tantrum or, you know, having big behaviours and like throwing, I've worked with some kids who have been through really big trauma, like kids who threw chairs around the room, kids who swore, like really intense behaviours. And looking at that and not thinking, this child is behaving so badly. I need to shut them down. I need to have better boundaries. I need to discipline them. Mm. Instead, seeing that situation and being like, this poor little child is experiencing something within their body that is making them behave in this way or communicate through their actions in this way. Right now, they actually need to be close to me. They actually need my connection. They actually need my love, even if they're pushing it away, even if they're throwing shit around the room. Like (laughs) they actually need me in those moments. And I know that 
because when I was a child, I had moments like that too, where I was pushing my parents away or I was doing crazy stuff to try and get my parents' attention and it didn't work, right? So I think a lot of that inner healing work has then helped me empathize with the kids that I work with and see situations like that very clearly and very simply rather than making it mean, yeah, this kid has bad behavior or I need to discipline them or da 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 da. It's like, well, what is actually happening here? What is this child actually feeling? And how can I meet them and respond to them in a way that they are actually going to be receptive to? They're probably going to be receptive to love because that's what they're needing right now, you know? So I think, yeah, the biggest shift that I've seen is that they're more receptive. That's so beautiful. And I'd love to even like bring in an example. So like, let's say Mm. there is a child throwing a tantrum and you're wanting to kind of like be there to meet their needs and shower them with love, even though the natural instinct for most of us would probably be like, oh my goodness, stop, like settle down, calm down, like more of that kind of response. What would you do in that circumstance where they do have that big behavior? They might be like yelling, screaming, crying, throwing things around. It is more of that kind of tantrum. How would you Mm. kind of approach that? That is such a beautiful question. And I have, there's a couple of stages to this that I like to share with with parents and kind of how I go about this. The first one really is just to hold space for what they're feeling. And by hold space, what I mean is kind of staying in the space with them, even if they're throwing things or they're yelling or whatever is going on. Obviously, you've got to keep your body safe. And if there's any other kids in the space, you know, remove them, keep them safe. But I like to stay close to the child. So stay in the same room, maybe sit on the floor so they know that you're there, you're close by and let them just express their emotions in the way that they need to. If they're throwing things, if they're stomping their feet, whatever, I just let them do their thing. And my job really is just to create safety in the room for myself, for the other kids. If there's stuff that could get broken, put it away. Like your job at the start is really just to create a safe space. And then what I like to say to kids when they're in, when they're in a tantrum, it's really like an overwhelm of emotion really and kids don't have the ability to bring themselves back down they don't have the ability to regulate themselves and so whilst they're kind of exploding and and the overwhelm is coming out I'm there on the floor close by and I like to just say to the kid I'm here when you're ready for a hug which is just so simple but it's just letting them know that you're there I'm here when you're ready for a hug I'm here when you're ready for a hug And what I've noticed in doing this is that kids really soften a lot when you say something like that, because you're showing them that love is close by, love is there. And when they're experiencing an overwhelm of emotion, they might fight it for a little bit and they might be, no, I want to stop my feet and da 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 da. (laughs) But they will soften quite quickly when you offer them that kind of love. Yeah. And then the third thing I like to do here is um, kind of label the emotion that I can see that they're feeling so you might know this based on what has caused the tantrum or what the build-up has been but you know yeah I can understand that you might be feeling angry right now or maybe you're disappointed because you didn't get the color cup that you wanted kind of labeling their emotion that they're feeling I can see you're feeling quite sad right now I can see you're feeling really grumpy I can see you have a lot of energy that you need to move through your body like just labeling what they're feeling because this helps kids Uh, feel quite seen and understood in what they're experiencing as well and again that helps them soften too it helps them relax and go oh oh they get it okay they're here for me they're offering me a hug they understand what I'm feeling I'm not getting shamed for this I'm not getting shut down oh okay maybe I can relax maybe I can soften right um And then from there, that's when usually there is a point of connection that can happen. So once they've softened, you've labeled the emotion, you've offered a hug, maybe they've come in for the hug. 
that's when you can then more have a bit of like a conversation with them about what they're feeling and why they're feeling that. Oh, you know, were you feeling angry because this happened? Or, you know, what kind of made you feel that way? And I know it's a bit frustrating. You didn't get the blue cup today. So what can we do instead? What would help you feel a little bit happier right now? Or, you know, we can kind of like bring in some problem solving or some connection time here. You know, maybe we can sit on the couch and have a cuddle for a little while while you calm down and just have a bit more of that verbal conversation. But yeah, whilst a child is in that big explosion, they're not going to be receptive to us talking at them so it's really just <laughs> holding the space I'm here when you're ready for a hug I can see you're feeling angry I've got you I'm here that's really what we're saying in the gist of it that is so powerful and I had like goosebumps as you were saying that because that is such a different approach to what we're mm. what we see or what we're typically shown or how we were potentially raised as well and yeah just like letting the child know that they're loved through that emotion rather than like they need to stop or hide it or it's bad or adding those extra layers of other emotions or judgment to it when they're already going through so much that is so potent and Mm. so beautiful what a gift to the children that you support in those times um, that they know that they're still loved through all of that Mm. and that it's okay Um, and they're understood and seen and like I love that you really validate what they're going through rather than being like dismissive or telling them you know just stop get over it suck it up yeah. like or go to your Stop room crying, until, yeah. yeah yeah go to your yeah. room until you feel better come back to me that's when you right. calm down like that's right and that's a good point actually because I think uh, a lot of us in the ways that we were brought up were sent to our room when we had big emotions when we were throwing a tantrum because we didn't get the blue cup that we wanted we were sent away and I think that causes so much pain and trauma for a little child because like I said before kids cannot self-soothe they can't regulate themselves even if your kid is like seven eight nine years old they might be able to a tiny bit but overall they really can't and the way that a child actually regulates their emotions is by being around a calm adult like being in space or in connection with a calm regulated adult is how they soothe and so sending them away and being like you go to your room I'm not dealing with you it just lets it just lets them sit in their pain by themselves in their own emotions by themselves and they don't know what to do with it they don't know they end up feeling confused and they end up feeling like that love yeah isn't available for them in those moments where they are experiencing big things and I think yeah recognizing that and understanding that for myself made me realize just how painful it is for kids who do get sent away like that and that in those moments what they need more than anything is actually closeness Mm, yes I love that because it's teaching us that it's not okay to be around people when we're feeling those uncomfortable emotions this is something that I've then been navigating now and I know many others are probably in that stage of like coming back into a healthy relationship with their emotions or maybe they're on their way there but Yeah, really feeling like, for example, if I'm experiencing uncomfortable emotions, I feel like I have to go to my room and deal with it by myself rather than being like, oh, I can cry in front of my friends and just tell them what's going on and I'll be loved and held in that. It's like there's all of this kind of like shame and guilt and like, oh, no, I can't be showing this in front of other people. Um, And it's creating like that unsafety within myself. Mm. Yeah. So I love that it's like this new perspective where we get to actually show them that you can have support Mm -hmm. and you need support in these times where you're dealing with that discomfort, especially as little kids who, like you said, they need that calm at all. 
Um, and when you said that, it kind of like highlights the importance of us doing this work and like making sure we have a healthy relationship with our emotions, mm. but also holding that like grounded, calm state, which it's mm. essential to have that um, healthy relationship with our emotions because otherwise we'll be reactive rather than responding. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. And I think honestly, that's probably the biggest work that I've done alongside, you know, just working with kids and experimenting with them and all of that, doing that work on myself around my own emotional awareness and my own triggers and my own pain points and wounds and all of that, I think has just played such a big role in the ways that I do connect with kids and being able, I think one of, one of the biggest things that I can very humbly say I'm good at (laughs) would be remaining calm with kids in pretty much any kind of scenario or situation like you know kids swearing kids throwing stuff around the room kids throwing a tantrum like whatever it is I now obviously I didn't back when I first started but now I feel like I have this real ability to just remain quite stable in the space with them and keep the I think the most important thing is keeping your your voice and your tone quite low and quite gentle as well because when our kids are amping up and they've got lots of energy or lots of emotion or big behavior often we amp up and we match them as well and what happens then is like this clashing there's like this headbutting that happens and they're yelling and you're yelling and like it just kind of escalates and escalates and it doesn't feel good for anybody and I think when we can become really attuned and and self-aware in terms of our own emotions and our own triggers, it means that going into these challenging moments with our kids, we are able to actually remain quite stable and almost, I I think sometimes we can take the stuff that kids say and do quite personally because of our own wounds and triggers. You know, they, (laughs) they throw something at you or I have kids sometimes that just walk past me and they just hit me on the arm or whatever. And something like that used to really trigger me because I'd be like, oh my God, that kid just hit me. Like, that's not okay. They're not allowed to hit my body. But now I guess I go, they're walking past me. They're actually probably just trying to get a point of connection on me. Like sometimes kids are quite physical touchy. Sometimes they just like to touch you as they go past. And if they are hitting me in a way that hurts me, I'll communicate to them and I'll say, actually, my body doesn't like being hit. That doesn't feel very nice. But it means that I'm able to remain calm and not take that as a personal attack and be like, oh, my God, that kid just hit me on the way past. That's not okay. I need to discipline them. I need like they did something wrong. You know, I think when we have our own wounds around that stuff, we can then project it onto our kids. So doing that inner work is very, very important just so that we can be aware of that and we can remain as calm and stable as possible obviously we're not perfect and I definitely still have days where I'm you know other stuff is stressing me out and I'm a little bit on edge or whatever it is but I think the more aware we can become of that stuff then the easier it can be to respond to our kids in those moments in ways that actually are going to love on them and empower them and, and help both of us feel good in that situation because as, as a guide or as a parent it, it doesn't feel good to yell at your kids it doesn't feel good to punish them it doesn't feel good to shame them it's just that sometimes that comes out as a reaction because of our own our own wounding I think yeah yeah that's super powerful and for anyone who is a parent or a guider and they're in this space where they want to get to that level of calm that you've now embodied and you now teach where do they start on this inner work journey what were some of the like most effective things and obviously I'm sure you could teach us so much and this is what your programs and things are for but do you have like a little taster for us to kind of like get people started if they are wanting to Mm. remain more grounded and do that inner work and heal some of their own wounds so that it's not being projected out onto their children. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I think for me, the, the biggest healers have been like, you know, reading books around emotions and that kind of thing and, and seeing kinesiologists and different healers. That's kind of been my journey with that. But something that I like to bring to parents that are starting on this journey is just a question to reflect on at the end of each day, which just very simply is, what did my child do today that triggered me? Like what, what happened today? What were the moments that I felt my energy amp up or I felt myself get heightened or I felt myself want to yell at my child or punish them or whatever. Like what were those little moments through the day that you noticed you weren't your most calm, stable self? And I think that can be a really good first clue or like indication to some things that maybe you need to address within yourself or some ways that maybe you need to support your own nervous system or um, attune to your own emotions and things like that. Because if you reflect on your day with your child and you're like, or the biggest thing that triggered me today was my child was really angry. Mm-hmm. My child got really angry in this moment when they didn't get something that they wanted. And as soon as they got angry, I started feeling stressed. I started feeling on edge. I started getting reactive. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what kind of perceptions do you have around anger? Do you feel safe to feel anger within your own body? Because mm-hmm. often we don't. And then when we see our kids be angry, we want to shut it down. We want to punish it. It stresses us out. Yeah. So I think that that question to reflect on at the end of each day or maybe the end of each week, even if you want to start slow, what happened this week? What happened today that triggered me with my child? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really simple one to start with. Yeah, that's a beautiful place to start and can bring about such profound insights through that alone. Mm. And yeah, I'm such a big fan of exploring our triggers and not seeing them as bad things, but just seeing them Mm. as like wounds that just need a bit of love, a bit of awareness, a bit of healing. So I love that you're bringing that perspective. And yeah, that's a really powerful tool. So highly recommend listeners following along that you, yeah, you really like embody that because sometimes even these kinds of things, they can seem simple. It's like one question, but yeah. the potency that can come from that one question, we mm. don't need all this fancy like language or lingo or like the next, I don't know, <laughs> what's an example? Mind-blowing phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, like some crazy framework of like yeah. this, 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 all these steps. It's like, let's just go back to the simplicity because that's where the power is. It's the same with food. I'm constantly telling people, come back yes. to basics. Yes. And it's very much like that and like getting rid of all the noise and mm. coming back to yourself, coming back to building that awareness, coming back to, yeah, those wounds. And yeah, I love that. So thank you for sharing that amazing piece of um practical support absolutely and I think yeah now that you say that as well I'm just reflecting and seeing that that reflection like just the the concept of reflection has been such a pivotal thing in my growth not only as a human but also in my work with kids as an educator as well because I guess through the study of of child development and all of that you do get told to reflect on each day. Like you kind of, you go to work and you do your stuff with the kids and then you reflect what went well, what didn't go well. And so it kind of got me into that practice already of just reflecting on my day. But as I started to do the inner healing work, it's like that got brought into the reflection of, oh, what went well today? What didn't go well? Where did I get stressed or triggered? What happened that was like, I didn't know how to deal with it. How can I learn how to deal with it? Like these reflective questions, I think can be such a potent thing to help us grow and evolve and be able to interact with not only our kids, but just other humans and and ourselves in life. So yeah, reflection is actually such a big piece in all of this. Yeah, I really agree with that. 
it's so easy to get wrapped in like wanting more knowledge and being like, I just got to keep learning, learning, learning. But if we're always learning and not reflecting, we're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And I feel like you've really hit on some gold here. And it's like, just come back to that reflection and you don't need all the additional knowledge. You'll actually find out so much simply through that process of reflection. Absolutely. It's so powerful. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. And so let's go back to our scenario of the tantrum. Let's pretend this is happening in public. How do you navigate it when it's like you're in a supermarket or a department store and your kid is going crazy? (laughs) Great question. And this is one I actually just ran a parenting program where I actually talked a lot about handling stuff out in public because that is a whole other ball game. You know, when you're in your own home, um, it's so much easier to just let the child have space to to stomp their foot or whatever. When you're out in public, you're in Kmart, you're in a supermarket and your child is throwing toys around the space, they're stomping their foot, they're screaming at the top of their lungs. That is a whole different kettle of fish there. Um, And I think the biggest thing to know when dealing with that stuff out in public is that it's the same steps as what I shared earlier around holding space and remaining close and validating or um, labeling how they're feeling. The only difference here would be when you're in a space that is enclosed, like a supermarket or a Kmart, whatever, a shopping centre, know your edges. And if your child is starting to throw a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket, in the middle of Kmart, know that that might be the time where you actually need to say to them, we're going to go outside and feel this. We're going to go outside and let these emotions flow because it's not safe in here or it's bothering other people, whatever. So we're actually going to move outside let the tantrum happen. I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you soothe. We can come back in once you're feeling a lot more calm. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not leaving them to do it themselves. We are doing it with them. We are remaining close while they feel their emotions. We're offering them a hug. We're um, labeling how they might be feeling. Oh, I know that you're feeling so frustrated. You wanted to buy the Lego box, but we're not buying that today. I know that's really frustrating. That's okay. Let the frustration out outside. We're going to let it out. Stomp your foot, cry, whatever you need to do. I'm here when you're ready for a hug. All right, let's have a hug. You're feeling calmer now we can go back in. Cool. So I think similar kind of steps, but just know when it's time to take a breather. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's really powerful as well. And on that kind of topic, how do you set healthy boundaries with children? Because obviously we want some level of boundary. We don't want to let them just completely take over control, Um, but we don't want to go to the unhealthy extreme where it's like the boundaries are so strict and so firm and it's not allowing them to express so where do you kind of stand on the boundaries front oh I love this topic I feel like I could talk about this one for ages um and I think you've hit a good point there of the extremes of boundary setting because I feel like we've come from a place in terms of parenting and even the education system where boundaries were set for the sake of keeping kids in line they were set for the sake of controlling kids keeping them quiet that was the purpose of boundaries back in the day And we are transitioning from that right now to something that's a bit more softer and allows kids to actually feel empowered and have choice and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But on that journey, I find a lot of parents actually flip to the other side of the spectrum where they're like, I don't want to set boundaries like that because I know that it's painful. I know it doesn't give my kid any choice or power. I'm not going to set any boundaries at all. (laughs) And then chaos ensues and parents wonder why they're so stressed out and frustrated with their kids. So That has been something I've actually really journeyed with in my own experimenting with kids over the last uh, five or six years specifically. And I've found this beautiful middle ground that I love to teach to parents. And it's just so simple and so powerful. 
The first thing that I want to say about this is that when we need to set a boundary with our kids, whether it's like we need to say that's not available right now, that's not safe right now, you can't have that right now, oftentimes we come at it with just no. We come out with no, don't, stop. These are like typically the three words that we tend to use when our kid says, can I do that? Or they're doing something they're not meant to be doing, whatever. We go, stop, don't do that. No, you can't have that. It's always no, don't, stop. Mm -hmm. And the thing with these three words is that they are very final Mm -hmm. and they really shut kids down. And when a kid feels shut down by these words, they're going to do whatever they can to try and gain back some kind of control, some kind of power, some kind of choice in the situation. And so often when we say to our kids, stop doing that, no, you can't have that, don't do that, da 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 their energy will actually amp up and it will become a lot more challenging in those moments because they're pushing back against the very final no, don't stop. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest pieces that I like to teach parents in terms of setting boundaries with kids is save those words for like danger situations. If your child's running out onto a busy road, of course you're going to say stop, that's fine. (laughs) But in the day-to-day moments, we actually want to word our boundaries in a way where we are saying those things, but in a much more open way. So there's a couple of kind of techniques that I like to use with kids. Maybe I'll I'll share a couple. Um, One that I like to do is letting a child know that something's not available right now, but then giving them two other choices. So I like to call this technique the this or that technique. Um, So this one might be good if a child, say you're in the supermarket, right? And the child's like, yeah, I want a chocolate bar. And they're like putting chocolate into the shopping trolley or whatever. And you're like, no, they can't have chocolate today. We're not getting chocolate. They're going to go crazy. Usually we would just say, no, you're not having chocolate. The way that I would word that would be, oh, chocolate sounds like such a yummy idea. I know that you love chocolate, but it's actually not on our shopping list today. Would you like to choose a banana or a muesli bar? Like giving them two other choices of something that they can have. Because kids, like any other human, they love to have choice. They love to have power. They love to have opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when we are not necessarily shutting down their desire, but we're saying that's not available right now, But giving them some other options, they are so much more receptive to the boundary. And the boundary is actually the same. The boundary is the same. Whether you say, no, you can't have chocolate, or you say, we're not getting chocolate right now, but you can have this or that, same thing. It's just worded in a completely different way. And kids are so much more receptive. So clever, isn't it? That is genius. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I love it. So simple. Um. And another one I like to use that's very simple as well, when kids are doing something or you need them to do something and they're not listening, they're not following through with it, is are you going to do it or shall I? And I think this is a really beautiful one, again, where we're giving kids the choice to do the thing. So to give an example, I had a three-year-old yesterday who he loves to open and close the fridge in the space. And obviously, if you leave the fridge open, stuff's going to melt. So I had to set the boundary with him of it's time to close the fridge now. Of course, he didn't listen when in one ear and out the other, as it usually does. Um, So I said, are you going to close the fridge or shall I? time to close the fridge now. Are you going to close it or shall I? Are you going to close it or shall I? I said it like three times and then I put my hand on the door and went to close it. Okay, I'm going to do it now. And he went, no, 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 I'll do it. I was like, cool, do it. Amazing. So he closed the fridge and off he went to play. So I think this is a really simple one when, um, yeah, when we need our kids to do something or, yeah, they're not responding to just be like, are you going to do it or shall I? It's time to put the iPad away now. You've had your time. Are you going to put it away or shall I? It's Mm -hmm. time to turn the TV off right now. Are you going to press the off button or shall I? We're giving them the opportunity and the choice to do something for themselves, which 
nine times out of 10, they're going to take that option because kids love to do things for themselves. They are highly independent. They love to have that sense of power. So most of the time they're going to choose it. If they don't, I think you as the adult need to be willing to step in and then do the thing because you've said the boundary, you need to follow through with it. So if you're saying you need to put the iPad, are you going to put the iPad away or shall I? And they're just saying no, or they're not doing it. Then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it this time because I can see you're finding it hard to do yourself. So I'm going to pop the iPad away now and gently removing it and popping it away. So following through with that as well. Yeah, I can really see how this is like really that empowering perspective. Because you are, mm. you're giving them that choice. You're working with them rather than against them or, yeah, yeah it's really giving them power. So empowering. Mm. Like it makes That's so much it. sense. Like I really see That's that it. as you're saying that. I'm like, yeah, this feels really expansive, really empowering, really like giving them the opportunity. Because I think also like we forget how intelligent and how independent kids can be. Um, and obviously I'm not a parent, so I can't speak as much from experience, but what I see from friends who have kids or from following Mm. along with all the amazing work that you do is that they actually want to be involved and like getting them involved in the things rather than just being like, I'll do it all, giving them that choice, bringing in that empowerment. I feel like that's a real gift. And then it's teaching them these life skills as well, like getting them involved in cooking rather than just being like, no, no, I'm doing that. Like you can't crack an egg. That's going to be too messy. Like kind of embracing the mess and teaching them and being patient. And I I suppose patience is a huge thing when it comes to kids isn't it huge. <laughs> yeah. huge 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 and it's actually funny that you bring that up actually because I was actually just recording an audio for an upcoming um, program that I'm running next week yeah. and one of the audios is called patience isn't a personality trait um because I really believe I mean yes patience comes more naturally to some people based on you know their past history and what their where their nervous system is at and all of that but I think that patience is something that we can all cultivate it's not something that just some people have and some people don't if you are not a patient person you can cultivate patience and the way that we cultivate patience is by nourishing ourselves and making sure that we are tending to our nervous system and making sure that we are getting our needs met and all of those really simple things so yeah interesting that you brought patience up because it is it's such a big part of guiding tiny humans and um we can very easily get impatient or frustrated with them when we are heightened or when we haven't had any space to just like take a deep breath and I mean I keep this very simple for parents because I know that they don't have much time in their day and they don't have heaps of energy to be able to do this stuff but Things as simple as like when your kids are playing outside, like take your socks and shoes off, put your feet in the grass, take three deep breaths. Something as simple as that can help you feel a lot more nourished and grounded, meaning that when your child has a big emotion, big behavior, you're setting a boundary, you're able to hold that with a lot more patience, with a lot more calmness because you are feeling calm and nourished yourself. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for bringing in that practical tip and something that they can do. And also thank you for explaining how we can cultivate the patience because that was going to be my next question. It's like, (laughs) what can we do to bring in more of that patience? And yeah, that is so perfect. And I'm a big believer in the more we cater to our own needs from the nervous system perspective and the emotional perspective and from the health perspective as well. Like sometimes we just need to drink enough water, help us regulate ourselves and like we'll be in like a way better spot. So yeah, really, really glad you brought that in. Thank you. That is so true. Drinking drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, like this is really simple stuff. I think sometimes we feel like when it comes to nurturing ourselves and self-care and nourishment and all of that, 
that it needs to be like a two-hour task and it's like oh I need to like do the face mask and like have a bath and journal and do a 15-minute meditation and like that stuff's great like if you have time for that do it that's fine but I think when we come back to basics if you don't have the time in your day like a lot of parents don't the simple things like you said drinking enough water getting your feet in the grass having some fresh air like really simple stuff will help you feel more patient in the ways that you've got in your kids totally yeah I love that And so when it comes to, in general, like having this really empowering, uplifting perspective to parenting or guiding, are there any other like tips or tools or topics that are really important to address? I think the biggest one with this, which we kind of covered was giving kids choice. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that again, in that old way of parenting or the education system, it very much was like just controlling kids. They had to do as they were told, you know, the adults are in charge and the kids just have to listen. And I feel like if we're coming into this space right now or the work that I'm doing where we are wanting our kids to feel more empowered and feel like they do have a say and feel like they are more independent in the world and that they're valued, that we need to make sure we are actually involving our kids in decision making. We're offering them choice. Like when we're setting a boundary, we're offering them choice or even just throughout the day, like, oh, but we've got some spare time this afternoon. Do do we want to go to the park or do you want to go to the beach? Like giving them little options, even lunchbox. Lunchbox is a great way to offer your kids choice in the morning. Would you like to have some carrots in your lunchbox or some cucumber? Like two choices, two choices. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but the really simple things of giving your kid a little bit of choice in their day is going to help them feel really valued and also help them feel really quite strong and grounded in who they are as well. Because as they grow, they're like, oh, I can, I can make decisions and I can follow what I want in life. And I, I can choose the thing that I desire. And I think that's a really important thing for kids as they grow. Um, So definitely choice. And I think, I think honouring kids' sense of independence is a really big one as well. Um, From kind of the age of like three, three and a half, kids go through different developmental stages of like craving independence and they they need to have independence. Um, So letting them experiment with things like dressing themselves or choosing their own shoes for the day, um, uh, like buttering their own bread, like really simple stuff like that I think is really important to just start to include from like three and a half um, so that kids are able to explore their own independence and their own strengths and their own power in that way. And kind of like you said earlier as well with things like cooking or folding the laundry or, you know, the, the kind of mundane house jobs that um, <laughs> us adults take on because that's it's part of our responsibility. But we forget that kids sometimes actually really want to be involved in that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they don't. That's fine. So I often find with the kids in my spaces, um, I run a little nanny share and they love to help me do the mundane jobs. Like if I need the tables cleaned, they're like, Izzy, Izzy, can I spray the table? I want to wipe the table. I'm like, cool, you guys do it. That's fine. I'll trust you to do it. Izzy, Izzy, I want to sweep the floor. I want to use the dustpan. Cool, you do it. That's fine. Like if your kid is desiring to do that stuff and they're having fun with it, let them do it. And <laughs> something to know about this, it's not going to be done perfectly. And I think we have to take take off our perfectionist hats with this stuff yeah. um, because we're watching our kid. I watch the kids wipe the table sometimes and there's like soap and bubbles everywhere or <laughs> they're sweeping and they're missing the dustpan completely. That's yeah. fine. 
that can be a beautiful teachable moment as well where I might offer them a little bit of advice or I might say, okay, I can see there's a lot of bubbles on the table now. Maybe let's do two more sprays and then we'll pop the spray bottle away and you can just do the wiping now. You know, we can we can offer a little support there to help them understand, oh, that's how you do it or that's a safer way to do it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but taking off that perfectionist hat and just letting them have a go, I think is such a powerful thing. And it does, it helps you in a sense, because if they want to, you know, fold face washes or wipe the table or whatever, it's so one less job for you. Let it be okay if it's not perfect. I think that's such a, such a big way that we can then gather our energy as an adult as well and just take a breather. If our child is willing and open to do that stuff, let them. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's, yeah, that's really cool. And I think when it comes to the choice stuff, it's really powerful in the way that you're teaching them decision-making skills. Because if we're just kind of always like telling them what to do and not giving them choice, it's like, when do they learn to make decisions? And then we become adults that just can't decide anything. So I love- That is so true. Yeah, I really love that. Like starting that from a really young age and then starting Mm -hmm. like that- letting them do things, letting them have that independence and taking away that perfectionism. um, That's really powerful as well. Um, And I know even like when I was little, there were times where mum would find me like with a little, um, like maybe a tea towel wiping something or a cloth wiping something down or like a broom (laughs) that was bigger than me, like trying to sweep (laughs) something because I saw her do it. And I was like, I want to do that too. Like I want to do the grown up thing. So I can really like resonate with that. And I feel like, yeah, there are a lot of kids who would love that responsibility mm-hmm. and if we keep taking it off them or if we're like no you're not doing it properly let me do it then that yes. could be like diminishing their self-worth or their confidence yeah. in their ability to do things even if it's not great they will get better <laughs> that's it absolutely and you yeah you've hit the nail on the head there where it is it's such a confidence boosting thing like even if for you you're like oh they're not doing it properly or whatever letting them actually just have a crack and have a go is going to help them feel so confident in themselves. And I see kids, this happens so often where kids like don't believe in themselves with something or they think they can't do something. And I offer them a bit of belief and I'm like, actually, I think you're doing a great job. Keep going. I think you can do this. And they do it. And then their whole being lights up and they're like, oh, I actually am capable. I can do this thing by myself. Wow. Look at me go. Like they fully light up with that. And I think that is such a pivotal piece in them building their confidence and their self-worth and their self-trust and their self-love as they grow. When we are, these are tiny opportunities in our day that honestly, they don't affect you as at all as the adult. So offering these little moments to your child where they can sweep or you know cut the banana or whatever like the little tiny things just let them have a crack and just watch how much more empowered they feel in their body it's it's Mm. insane yeah I love that that's really beautiful and so good for that confidence building I really can see how that would be really really important yeah Amazing. So I have a question about the education system. If you had it all your way, what would you change when it comes to the education system and the way we're navigating supporting children as they grow and learn? Oh my God, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We probably need a whole podcast just for this question. Oh my God, a lot. (laughs) Honestly, I think the biggest thing, there's a couple here. The, The biggest thing is probably the class sizes I think the ways in which schools were set up I mean if you go really far back in history schools were set up to create factory workers really it was kind of like a system where kids would come in they would learn how to do as they're told do xyz 
uh, learn basic English and maths, then they'll spit out of the system and they go straight into working in factories and stuff like that. So from there, obviously, it's evolved a lot since then. But there is still this element of like kids come, they sit down for six hours of the day, they get a tiny little break where they can eat and play. The rest of the time, it's a lot more like serious head stuff. We're teaching them things that I, some of it I don't even think they really need to learn, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is, it's very like structured and it's very big groups, especially at the moment. Like something I've really noticed in the education system in the last couple of years is that the group sizes just keep getting bigger and bigger. And there's preschools that have 28 kids in a room that are like the kids are three years old, which is just insane. And daycare centers are exploding at the seams. And even school classrooms are going from 22 to 26 to 28. And I think for kids to actually feel like their needs are being met for them to get the type of connection and love and actual, like they need that stuff to be able to learn. Like kids, they can't sit down in a classroom and absorb stuff if they're not feeling safe, if they're not feeling connected in that space. And so if they're not able to get their needs met, if they're not getting one-on-one love and attention, they're not feeling connected to their teacher, the likelihood of them actually learning anything in that classroom is probably quite little anyway. And so the fact that these class sizes just keep getting bigger just blows my mind because I'm like, what what are they actually going to learn in doing that? And and how's that actually going to support them? So I think that would probably be one of the biggest ones. And then I think as well, um, obviously, like in terms of schooling, there's such a curriculum that you have to follow in terms of what kids are supposed to learn or know at certain ages of their development. And I think with a lot of that, it doesn't take into consideration the fact that every child is so unique and different and the fact that every child learns in such a different way. Like some kids learn through tangibly doing stuff and experimenting and getting their hands dirty and all of that side of things. And some kids do learn from reading and listening and writing and that more academic way. And I think, yeah, we don't honour that as much as we probably could in the system. And there's not so much space for kids just learning through life experiences, you know, things like the stuff that I do with the kids I work with. We do a lot of cooking. We do a lot of just like sensory play and outdoor play. I feel like they learn the most just through conversation with me. Like I don't necessarily have specific things that I want to teach them or that they need to learn by a certain point. I just love to go with what are they passionate about right now? What do they enjoy learning about right now? Let's just take that further. Oh, they brought this up in a conversation. Let me show them a YouTube video about that. Like, you know, I like to just go with the flow with that kind of stuff and just honor what each child kind of needs in each moment. And I'm able to do that because I'm working with groups of four kids, like four kids at a time. If you've got 28 kids in a room, you can't do it. Like it's actually so hard to do that, especially if there's only one teacher. So I think they're probably the main things that's probably a lot more intricacies um, in terms of what's wrong with the education system. But I think they're the biggest things that need to change if we want to raise kids that feel empowered, feel like their needs are met, um, that are actually learning life skills and not just stuff that they can use with their head but stuff that they can then leave school and be like oh I know how to like cook myself dinner I know how to do my taxes I know um as a woman like I know what my period is about and and what that means like I think those kind of things sometimes are way more important than like algebra and just the random stuff that you learn at school yeah I certainly haven't used trigonometry since I left school so I don't think anyone has (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I love that. That's a really beautiful perspective. And I love that more personalized um, and hands-on approach mm-hmm. um, and the more experiential, like that's actually something I was going to bring up the way a lot of what I see you doing with the children. And obviously I only see small snippets, but it's more of that play and that actually doing things with their hands, showing them things, doing like fun experiment looking things. Like it looks one more fun as the guider or the parent, but two, it's like, yeah, as a kid, you'd be so much more involved and curious as opposed to just sitting there being told things that you have to remember. It's much more engaging. So yeah, I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Play. Play is just, I think, the best way to learn for even for an adult. Like when I want to learn something new, if I try to make it more fun and more interesting and more hands-on, I'm way more receptive to it. So of course, kids are going to be the same. Totally. And it even makes sense from like that behavior change perspective, the more fun, the more appealing, the more satisfying, the more rewarding things Mm. look or feel, the more likely we are to do them. Therefore, if it feels like a chore to sit down and read a textbook, I'm less likely to do that. But if there's a really fun way that I can actually experience that, Mm. I'm going to be like, yeah, cool. Let me do that. And I'll still be getting the same outcome. I'll still be learning it in just that different way. That's yeah. it. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I love that you're all about like the practical life skills that we'll actually use. Like so, yes. so important. <laughs> I have not used algebra since I left school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And something I remember seeing you talk about once as well was how so often we can kind of see it as like, you know, we're the ones that are teaching the children, but there's actually so much we can learn from the kids as well. And like just being open mm. to learning from them as well and having it as like a two way kind of conversation rather than just sit down, be quiet, do what you're told. This is what you have to learn. So, yeah, yeah I feel like that's even really powerful because, yeah, there is so much we can learn from little ones. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah, that kind of brings up a big perspective that I like to share with parents that sometimes we just, we think about kids as they're they're just kids, but this is going to sound so simple, but actually when you think about it, it'll blow your mind, but kids are humans. Like kids are humans. They are the same as you. (laughs) They have the same emotions. They have the same thoughts. Like they experience life similarly to what you do as well. And I think we forget this sometimes. And there has been that perception of like, adult and child like the adult is is bigger and more powerful and knows more and the child is just this little tiny thing that needs us to tell them what to do all the time and when we start to actually see that we're actually both just human we're both quite equal I think that can really shift the ways in which we interact with our kids and like you said we're more receptive to what we can actually learn from them and I I can't even tell you the amount of things that I've learned from kids like Sometimes it's stuff that like is is actually tangible. Like they might teach me about a new dinosaur that I've never heard about before. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. I actually didn't know about that. That's awesome. Um, But sometimes it's actually more just like life perspectives that I get from kids and something I think that kids are really good at and that we can learn so much from kids is just how present they are. They are so present with everything that they are doing. They don't get caught up in overthinking or overanalyzing. They they just are there and they're experiencing what they're experiencing. That's why they have such big emotions because they're experiencing so much. It just, bleh, it comes out and then they're fine. Like two minutes later, they're freaking happy laughing over there with their sister, you know? 
because they're just present with what is. And, you know, if you go for a walk with a child or you play with a child for a moment, you'll know they stop to smell every flower and they'll, they'll notice all the cracks in the path and they'll notice that that tree got cut down that was there yesterday. And they're just so attuned to those little moments. And that's something that I really love in spending time with the kids that I guide where Every time I go to spend time with them, and I'm saying spending time with them because I don't see myself as I go there to teach them. I go there to hang out with them. Like we're we're buddies, we're friends. Um, I go there to spend time with them. And if I have been navigating, you know, stress or emotion or whatever in my own life, soon as I get to that space with those kids, I'm drawn straight back to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes this can it can be a bit frustrating as an adult when you're in this like heady zone of, oh, quick, I need to get somewhere. We have to rush out the door. Oh my God, they're not getting dressed and they need to hurry up because the child is just in the present and they're just flowing and doing their thing. Um, And we can get so frustrated with that. But the invitation that I want to offer, because this is something that I experience on a daily basis, is how can you let your child support you in relaxing into that present moment because there is so much magic and there is so much nourishment in that present moment when when I see a child dancing in the room with no music on I join in I'm like cool we're dancing now great like you know how can you just let them invite you into those spaces because I think that's something that kids can really teach us and they're just so good at it they are so good at being present we can learn so much from that um, with them I feel like yeah what a massive gift and some amazing codes we can get from them because yeah you're so right it's so easy to get swept up in the busyness in the like head-based doing that never-ending to-do list like just life and the way that we currently lead our lives so having that gift of like that reminder to be more in the moment to have that fun to play to not take life so seriously to be instead of always do like yeah that's so special we all need a bit of that, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh my goodness. I feel like there's still so much more I could ask you, but to kind of like wrap up this episode, mm. I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but yeah. is there anything that you'd like to leave with the audience, like any last um, nuggets of wisdom or some point you'd love to drive home? Mm. Oh, good question. I feel like I want to drive home that point of kids being equal to us. I think that 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 is really at the core of all the work that I do, where if we want to start parenting in different ways, if we want to start, you know, seeing our kids actually respond to our language, to our boundaries and all of that stuff, we have to recognise that they are human, that they are equal to us. And the biggest um, thing that we can do is build a deep connected relationship with our child in that way. And I've noticed over the last few years, the more I do this, the more that I'm very intentional about connecting with a child and asking them about their passions and their interests and spending quality time with them and respecting what they want and their decisions and their thoughts just as much as I want them to respect mine. You know, that beautiful equality in terms of communication and understanding and all of that. Yeah. That has been such a huge shift in my guiding in the last two years. And what I've noticed from that is that because I have built such a equal, deep relationship with each child I work with, they respect 
the language, the boundaries, the instructions that I give them so much more because they trust me, because they know that there's love there always. You know, I love them in their big emotions, their big behaviors, all the things. Yeah. So that that foundation of treating your child just like another human. They are another human. They're not smaller than you. They are small in size, but they are not small in energy and in heart. And I think when we can come back to this in the moments that we forget, in the moments that we get triggered or we're yelling or we're stressed or whatever, come back to my child is just a human. They are experiencing something very human and I can connect with them as another human to support and love them. And in turn, it builds this beautiful relationship. And I think relationships are really at the forefront of, of working with kids or just being around kids in general, you know. Just like you would build a relationship with your partner or with a friend, build a relationship with your child, a reciprocal relationship. And that can just create so much more ease in the ways that you are parenting them as well. Yeah, boom. That is so special, so important. Like learning to see them as equals. Like mm. like you said earlier, it sounds simple, but it is actually mind-blowing when you think about it. Because when you think about it, we do put ourselves on like a bit of a hierarchy or a bit of a pedestal. Yeah. It's like, I know best, I'm an adult, I have all this life experience, do what I tell you. Mm. But really just starting to be like, hold on, like, no, this is just another human being. And yeah, I love what you said about like they may be small in size, but they're not yeah. small in energy or heart like that's just so beautiful and yeah honestly the world would be a very different place if more Mm. of us were doing more of this empower empowering practices when it comes to guiding parenting teaching our children so keep doing what you are doing and speaking of what are some ways that the listeners can work with you and learn from you and continue to get all of your amazing advice knowledge wisdom support Oh yeah, so many ways. So I've got a couple of self-paced programs available on my website. Um, there's one that is specifically around boundary setting with kids. It's a short little immersion um, that you can do in your own time. Um, I've also got two others that are kind of around empowering kids specifically and learning how to meet kids from the heart space and from, yeah, seeing them as as equal and human and how to empower them in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I also offer some one-on-one Voxer mentoring and, um, yeah, through my socials as well, I'm also always offering new content. So, yeah, they're probably the best ways to, to connect with me and, and receive some more tidbits and juice. Amazing. And yes, your content is always like one, very entertaining, but also (laughs) so educational. Like I love the funny little reels that you occasionally do as well. Like, yeah, it's on point. I enjoy it. If you want to see me (laughs) pretend to be a four-year-old child, then go follow me on social. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Amazing. And speaking of socials and website, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, so my socials, um, Raising Empowered Kids, and my website is the same, raisingempoweredkids.com. Beautiful. And I'll pop a link to that in anything I share and in the show notes for those listening so you can go find them really easily. But thank you so much for being here today. I have absolutely loved this conversation. It has gone so quickly. (laughs) It has gone so quick, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I've learned so much. I'm sure the listeners have too. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom and expertise. Thank you so much for having me. That was so fun. Yeah, so welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I would love for you to leave me a review via the Apple Podcast app and let me know what you think. I'm always open to feedback and if you have any dream guests or topic requests, please feel free to send me a direct message or an email. If you know anyone else that this episode could benefit, I would be so grateful if you could share it with them. 
Together, we can help even more people live a nourished life. Your support means so much to me and I appreciate you being here. See you next time.